I know I professed a desire to talk about every single thing that happened last year uh, and offer Jewish teachings about it, but I'm afraid I only have time to tackle, as I said yesterday, the events of the past month. And that pretty much, if you ask me, sums up the year. Every month felt like a year in terms of what was happening in the world around us. And so this morning, one more discussion about contemporary events before I turn a little more inward uh, for the holiday of Yom Kippur. And given the recent decision of the U.S. Supreme Court to let the Texas law stand that effectively blocks access to abortion after six weeks, I thought it important to lay out the Jewish view of abortion. This is what I guess they call in the rabbinic world an audible, uh, a rewrite in the last few days before Rosh Hashanah. And after the holidays, I've already organized, we'll, we're going to host a panel examining this recent Supreme Court decision and Roe v. Wade. We're really fortunate in our congregation to have among our members Robin Charlo, who's a professor of law at Hofstra University and Lauren Reese Garfunkel, a board member of the National Council of Jewish Women. Uh, we haven't set a date yet for this. It will be on Zoom, so as many people as possible can participate. They will help walk us through both the constitutional issues and what more can be done in the fight for reproductive freedom. Uh, so look for that date in the few weeks after Yom Kippur. But this morning, I want to turn to the texts of our tradition. And for those who are regulars at our second day of Rosh Hashanah service, you know it is my custom to examine Judaism's sacred texts on this morning. And this, this is what I want to do to walk us through these texts that illustrate the Jewish view uh, on this Rosh Hashanah morning. Here are the three crucial Jewish texts elucidating Judaism's view of abortion. First, an aside, and I think it's an important note to offer. As Jews, we are informed by our sacred texts. We are guided by their words. We don't just make decisions without looking at the wisdom of those who went before us. That's what it means to belong to a tradition and a heritage, we look back for the wisdom of old to see what it can offer us for today. We use it as a guide. So first and foremost, we look to the Torah. So here are the words of the Torah from Parshat Mishpatim in the book of Exodus. When men fight and one of them pushes a pregnant woman, and a miscarriage result, but no other damages ensue, the one responsible shall be fined according as the woman's husband may exact from him, the payment to be based on reckoning. But if other damages ensue, the penalty shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Here are the crucial takeaways from this foundational text. Number one, 
the fetus is not considered a life. The loss of the pregnancy is considered a damage and not murder. Note, this is the context for the often misunderstood biblical phrase, an eye for an eye. That phrase does not mean, as contemporary culture would suggest, that vengeance should be exacted, but instead we assign damages commensurate with the value of what is lost. The value of a life for a life, an eye for an eye, and so on. If the person's arm is broken, for instance, the compensation is standardized, hand for hand. While it may seem unfeeling to refer to miscarriages as damages, most especially to anyone who has lost a pregnancy, this does establish the Jewish hierarchy of values. The fetus is not the same as a person. It is also unfeeling, and I would deem wrong and misguided, to treat women as a husband's property. And I would like to think that we corrected this biblical view. Unfortunately, it appears that this view has not changed as much as we might, might have thought or as I might hope. All I can say for sure is that it has changed here. Next, an early rabbinic text. And this is from the Mishnah, completed in the second century CE. The Mishnah forms the first layer of the Talmud. And this rabbinic text forms the basis for what we really know and call Judaism. That is the book that continues to shape us. And this informs Jewish law. The rabbis teach, and I quote, a woman who was having trouble giving birth they cut up the fetus inside her and take it out limb by limb because her life comes before its life. If most of it has come out already, they do not touch it because we do not push off one life for another. Here are the important insights we derive from the Mishnah. Number one, the life of the mother comes before that of the fetus. The fetus only gains equal standing with that of the mother's once it is born or at least almost fully emerges. Rabbinic law equates life with breath, with the Hebrew word neshama, meaning both soul and breath. Number two, abortion is allowed until the very end of pregnancy. It is not limited to the first trimester. In fact, according to rabbinic law, abortion is required and, and we're obligated to perform it if a woman's life is endangered by the pregnancy. Number three, rabbinic law later debates what constitutes a threat to the mother's life. Traditional authorities, and we must admit this, only allow for physical threats. In other words, they are only comfortable allowing abortions if the mother is in danger of dying. More liberal authorities allow for any threat, physical, emotional, psychological, even financial. Liberal Jews argue for its permissibility in the case of rape 
and incest. And number four, rabbis argue about those details. But to be honest, too often those rabbis are still very much men who never bother to consult or listen to women whose bodies they continue to objectify and talk about as if they are their property. And finally, from the very first chapter of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And God created human beings in God's image. In the image of God, God created human, male and female, God created them. Number one from this, human beings are created in the divine image. Number two, Jewish teaching expounds on this. Our bodies are a reflection of the divine. They are holy because they're a reflection of God's image. According to Jewish law, we are not permitted to do whatever we want to our bodies, whether that be piercings, and I'm sorry, tattoos, surgeries, cremation, or in this case, abortion. Number three, only if we are saving life is abortion permitted. The details of what constitutes a threat to life in the case of abortion is debated even among physicians. Different people will have different views about what constitute a, constitutes a threat to the mother's life. Those are the important Jewish texts that inform the Jewish view of abortion. Let me summarize their teachings and then, of course, give you my own view. First of all, because I'm a rabbi, and second, because I'm a man, and so I'm going to tell you what I think is right. Don't laugh too loud. So, <laughs> Judaism does not believe human life begins at conception, but instead at birth. The fetus is holy and is considered a life, but is not of equal standing to that of the mother. Of course, creating a life is sacred and we should not treat it in a cavalier manner. We should look at this as an extraordinary divine blessing. But neither should we treat a mother's life in a cavalier manner. The human body, too, is holy and should be cared for as if it is a vessel of the divine. It is not to be worshipped, but, but should be seen as containing God's reflection. And herein lies the crux of the problem, most especially with how we discuss abortion rights in our own country. Too often, the debate is portrayed as pitting those who believe in God and God's creation against those who do not believe. On one side are those who believe we should have reverence for life, and on the other are those who think we should be able to do whatever we want, when we want. That is how the debate is portrayed. But our tradition teaches us otherwise. It affirms that the baby forming within a mother's womb is sacred, but not as sacred as the mother's life. If a terrible choice has to be made between the two, then Judaism teaches that we choose the mother's life. Of course, every situation is nuanced and complicated, which is why we should leave such decisions to a woman. 
Ideally, she would be able to consult with a partner. But let's be clear, she can better navigate and assess what the dangers to her own life might be. I hope she might be informed by the advice of doctors and the wisdom of her own faith. I believe in life, first that of the mother and second that of the fetus. And that to me is an obvious hierarchy. It is what my Jewish faith teaches me. And my primary objection to the state limiting access to abortions it is that it is forcing upon women a religious worldview different than our own. It is insisting that women must carry burdens and consequences of a faith they may or may not believe in. And who, by the way, am I to offer any counsel or wisdom on this matter? I never tossed and turned at night, unable to get comfortable because of my growing belly. All I ever did was make a lot of smoothies for nine months. And yet here is my pledge. I will fight to unshackle women from a worldview not of their own choosing. Do not tell them you know what is best for them. Let women decide how to navigate such difficult decisions in a manner of their own choosing. And I pledge, I am in this fight so that everyone can say, this is what I believe, and this is what my tradition teaches me. And so this is the decision I choose. We must stay in this fight and likewise affirm the mother's life and the importance of our Jewish faith.